0: Today, we continue on and reach our second-to-last sermon on our liturgy. So for the last several weeks, we've been walking through the service. When we gather together, why do we do the things we do? We have the same structure every week. We've looked at why we pray, why we sing. Last week, very impactfully for me, I think we looked at communion and what it celebrates. Today, we're talking about the time of offering, and yes, we can all get up and leave, if you'd prefer. Um, it's an interesting and somewhat, at times, awkward subject to broach. Money tends to be. But because of that, I think we often miss the point of offering and the point of what we're going to talk about today. has very little, in fact, I would argue, almost nothing to do with actual money. It has to do with something more. Think back. Most of us have grown up in the church but I want you to try to put yourself in the shoes of someone who hasn't gone to church. You walk in, people are singing songs you don't know. Okay, we all sing songs, we can follow along with that. Uh, people get up and give announcements. Okay, that's fine. And then this basket, most of our churches, right, comes being passed along the aisle, and people are putting money in it. What would you interpret that to be? You haven't gone to a church. You see a basket being passed towards you, and you lean over to your neighbor, and you go, what's this? Is this a cover charge? Is this a, uh, you know, a, admittance? What What is this all about? Just in the quiet of your own head, how good of an answer would you give to the, our hypothetical first-time visitor at a church? It's all about God. It's all about God. Claire, I love that answer because that's what I want us to think about. We're going to talk today about giving And I'll just break the tension, break the, what is he going to ask us for? I am going to ask you to give more. has nothing to do with money. There can be less money in the basket next week, and I'll be even happier because of what God wants. That's what our service is about today. We're talking about the time of offering that we take, but we're thinking about what God asks of us. What does God want from us? I want to read from the book of 2 Corinthians. Last week we were in 1 Corinthians. Well, we're back at the church at Corinth, our favorite kind of dysfunctional church of the first century. But I want to read for us, and there are many passages we could have gone to. I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians 9. And I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul is saying to this church. A church that is not perfect, certainly not perfect, but has a heart to serve God here. Let's listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 9. It is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, for I know your willingness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia uh, has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has been stirred up most by them. But I have sent the brothers in order that our boasting uh, about you may not prove empty in your case, so that as I was saying, you will be prepared. Otherwise, if the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we not to mention you, would be put to shame by this confidence. So I consider it necessary to urge the brethren that they go ahead of you and arrange in advance your previously promised generous gift. The same would be ready as a generous gift and not as one of those grudgingly given due to greediness. Now I say this, the one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. The one who sows generously will reap generously. But each one must do as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace overflow to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, He scattered abroad, He gave to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed is the sower, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed, sowing and increasing the harvest of your righteousness, And you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. There are so many passages we could have gone to, but I like this one. Not only because we have the continuity with the church at Corinth, who they are the church that had to get the kind of talking about what communion is all about. Here, Paul is encouraging them about what giving is all about. I always ask my students, my college students, when we're trying to define things to understand a principle, uh, I try to tell them, listen, sometimes it's helpful when trying to figure out the right answer to eliminate what you know must be wrong answers. So let me ask us all a question. Why does God ask us to give? And I want us to broaden our definition of give. Yes, it can be financial, but it can be time, it can be energy. Service is a multifaceted thing, and God asks us to serve, to give of ourselves for others. Why? Well, there's one answer we can very quickly and clearly eliminate. It can't be because he needs us. God is all-sufficient. God is the omnipotent, powerful God of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who declared the end from the beginning. Do you think he really needs Just a couple bucks in the plate this week. Do you really think he needs me to move a box from here to there to go and sit with someone for 30 minutes? He is more than capable of taking care of any of his needs. And yet he still asks us to give. He still asks us to serve. Why? This, I think, is a very important kind of lead into our talk today. Martin Luther, and this is one of, I think, his more brilliant observations. He says, it can't be because God needs us for he is all-sufficient. God must ask us to give because our neighbors need us. We need something from it. They need something from it. The two greatest commandments in the Christian faith are to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And we've talked ad nauseam if you've been here for a while. They're connected, aren't they? We show our love for God by our labor, our love for our neighbors. God asks us to give not because he somehow needs to increase his bank account, he needs to increase the amount of community hours that have been given to him. But because friends, we live in communities, we live with people who do have needs, who do need our time, who do need our energy, and who need occasionally our money. Our neighbors are why we give. This passage in 2 uh, in Corinthians is all about that, right? Paul is talking to the church at Corinth saying, people from Macedon are coming to you, and you've promised to give to them, to support them, to care for them. So please make sure you actually do that, right? Paul, I think, in the back of his mind is worried like, okay, this is a church that's had some issues. <laughs> Let me just make sure we're all good. When the Macedonians show up, you will care for them, right? Because you've, you've promised you will. I'm not placing this on you as a burden, But you've promised you will, so make sure you actually do. Paul here and friends throughout the New Testament, when the Bible talks about giving, especially the New Testament when it talks about the church, we should think of this in terms of grace-based giving. This is a phrase I really kind of want to lean into. Our time of offering is not a time of tithing. Tithing is a term I'm very familiar with. I've heard, I'm sure you've heard, offering and tithing may be used interchangeably, but that's not what we should think of it. A tithe is something you must perform. You must give. It is your duty to give a tithe to those that are over you. Israel had tithes that they had to give to God. But they also had what are called free-will offerings. The New Testament, when it picks up giving in the church, caring for one another, picks up that language. Language of something optional. Language of something we choose to give based on grace. The giving that we give to one another is brought out of this heart condition, not a obligation, as Paul said. We don't give reluctantly. We don't give under compulsion, but we give as our hearts direct. For God loves a cheerful giver. When we think about giving, this grace-based giving, I want us to consider these few principles. When we give, be it time, be it money, be it energy, we do so out of a desire to help those around us. Our time of offering here, our time of offering in the rest of our week should be because we want to help people. We're not checking a box going like, uh-oh, God might kick me out of heaven if I don't make sure to hit these benchmarks, to give them enough time, to give enough money. No, we give of ourselves because we see the needs in those around us. My neighbor needs me to spend some time with them today. My friend across the hall really need someone to help them clean up their kitchen this week. My son, my daughter, my grandson, my granddaughter is in a rough patch. Maybe they need some financial support. Whatever it is, we give out of a desire to help our neighbors, to show love for them. We also give, point two, that the goal of giving should be to bring about equality within the church. This is why I went to this passage. Instead of we have parables from Jesus we could go to, we have other passages in different Pauline books we could have gone to. But I want us to read this passage at the Church of Corinth. Last week we looked at communion. What was one of the main problems that Paul saw? Right, Because the whole prescription for communion is given in the context of you all have a problem and I want you to understand how you can fix it. The problem was that when they gathered together for the taking of the bread, the taking of the wine, the difference between the haves and the have-nots in the Christian community was apparent. The rich were coming in drunk with full bellies, they were wanting to eat, whereas the poor were coming in destitute, longing for this meal, this communion, to not just be something symbolic, but be something uh, substantial for them. And instead of bringing about the unity of the body, disunity was being sown through the gathering of the church. The giving we give of ourselves is to help bring about unity, equality within the church to care for the needs of those who are around us. Friends, we uh, I'll bring this up a couple times during our time together. We take a time of offering here in our service time, in case you haven't had a chance to do it for the rest of the week. But offering is a thing we should be incorporating into our lives each and every day. As we live lives with one another as we care for one another do you think it's more holy to give just on one day on sunday (laughs) god wants us to be caring and loving for one another every day so as we do that we should be caring for the needs of one another third as and this is so important for us as we look at giving be it time energy or money we should encourage not guilt one another into giving Communities are very prone to using guilt as a motivating factor. I've grown up in the church, and most of you have as well. Tell me, is the church sometimes using guilt to get people to fall in line? We kind of give each other the sideways look. Oh, did you actually do enough? I don't know if you did. <laughs> I must confess, friends, this is something I, in my own experience in the church, have seen and struggle with, that it, sometimes we do guilt one another into making sure we're giving. That's not what Paul does to the church at Corinth. Oh boy, they're guilty of a lot of things. He could hold a lot of things over their head. But he says, I'm trying to encourage you. God loves a cheerful giver. There's good reasons, and we're going to see in a moment what those good reasons are for giving. He encourages them to give of themselves. He doesn't guilt those that are tired that week, that have run out of energy, that are maybe at the end of their funds. He doesn't guilt those that from his perspective maybe aren't, but he's encouraging them. This is so critical. Support one another. Be supported by me here as we give, not guilted for not giving. Fourth, we remember in when we give that we serve a God who has and can give us much more than we give him. This is not as so often is used in a manipulative sense, a promise that if we give to God, he will, of course, richly bless us. This is merely the reminder that when we give, we are giving to a God who can, and who already has, through the death of his Son, given us so much more than we could ever repay. Friends, to facilitate grace-based giving, I think we need to do the following four things. Let us encourage, not guilt one another in these four things. First, we have a time of prayer, but you also are here all week and talking to one another. Share your needs. Share your needs early, share your needs often with one another. Be it time, be it energy, be it financial, whatever you need, share that in the body here because that is what our time of giving should do. It should be to support one another. Let me be very blunt. If you have your money you're going to bring to church to put in the basket as we go by, and you know a friend that needs that money, this is from the pulpit. Give it to them, not here. That's what money is about the money we give here goes to support this chapel goes to support me goes to support the things we use for this chapel i am so grateful for all that you give but i also want to tell you it doesn't make it more holy giving it here it's supposed to be given for the betterment of the body if you give it here thank you if you give it to your friend thank you if you don't have the money to give and you've been giving it yourself in time energy Thank you. It's all the same. God wants you to give to support the needs of those around you. Wherever that is, that's all God's asking of you. Second, let us encourage one another to view our God-given resources as a trust to be used to care for others. In giving, we not only help the needs of others, we also do something to ourselves. We remind ourselves of an important truth, that everything we have been given as Christians is merely the gifts entrusted to us by the God of heaven. Our time, our energy, our money, whatever resources, whatever we have in abundance that week, and it sometimes changes week to week. There are some weeks we have lots of energy and some weeks we don't have much. Some weeks we have a lot of time, some weeks we don't have much. Whatever has been entrusted to us, friends, view it as this isn't just given to me so that I can enjoy life to its fullest and I can make myself greatest, but I can care and love for my neighbor sitting next to me living in the room across from me, the caregiver that's in our hall. Our gifts are given entrusted to us to support those around us. Third, to facilitate grace-based giving, reject manipulation, reject guilt-giving. Please, 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 when we come in here, if we're passing the basket around, you don't have anything to give this week, it doesn't matter. No one should be looking, giving you a sideways look. I'm trying to not give anyone a sideways look. In fact, you may notice I do my best to just look at the ground, A, so I don't step on anyone's feet. I would feel very bad about that. But truthfully, friends, whether you give, whether you don't give, how much you give, I don't care because it's not my business. That's between you and God. That's how it should be. Let us not manipulate one another into feeling like a lesser Christian because of where we are at. Let us not guilt one another. Let us encourage, let us love one another. Let us support one another. Too often on the TV, I see televangelists and they are manipulating people to send them money. It's not Paul's example. That's not Christ's example. Christ talks about those who give to the church. The one that gives a lot of money and he gives so loudly and everyone's like, look at this person and how much they gave. And then he says, and then a woman comes up and gives her last cent. And he says, who gave more? She did. God doesn't look at a dollar figure. He doesn't need it. He doesn't care. He's looking at the heart. He's looking at how much of ourselves we're giving to him. And so lastly, friends, to facilitate grace-based giving, let us embrace the spiritual freedom of this truth, of giving. That what we have has been given to us by God, we can give it away freely, for he is the God who knows the end from the beginning. He is the God who can care for us. We don't have to be tied, we don't find our security in anything in this world, we find it in him. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. We always get that quote wrong, but part of giving is to help free us from those temptations. Money is a big temptation. Health, time, energy, whatever it is, these can be big temptations to find security in something outside of God. Paul reminds us that when we serve one another, we remind ourselves that there is a God above, a God who can support and care much more than any of us need. Friends, let us embrace grace-based giving in our lives. If you don't have any other opportunity to give throughout the week, that's why we pass the basket. But every day, be asking God, what do I have an abundance of today? Is it time? Is it energy? Is it money? Whatever it is in your life, look around and go, who can I bless? Who can I care for? Is it my friend down the hall? Is it the server in the lunchroom? Whoever it is, let us give of ourselves to God. Because we have a God who has already given all of himself to us. Be encouraged. Be of good cheer this week. Be it time, energy, money. Let us bless those around us. Let us put into action, not just word, but indeed, the second greatest commandment, to love our neighbor as ourself. Allow your giving, and this is appropriate this week, allow it to bring thanksgiving to your heart. It feels good to give of yourself to others. It feels good to give gifts. So bless those around you this week. and Be of good cheer. Can you bow your heads with me? Let's pray.